Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, on the show today, we've got Mercedes Yvette, who's a lovely friend of mine. She is a mom, a former contestant on America's Next Top Model. She's still modeling, and she's acting, and she's also uh, the co-owner of an awesome jewelry company called The Gilded Fox. And she has lupus and is a lupus advocate. And so we're going to be talking about lupus today. Um, Mercedes, hey, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to have you on the show. So tell us, um, let's just start with the, the real basics. What's lupus and how does it affect you? Sure. Uh, lupus is an autoimmune disease that affects the body. Um, and it can be anywhere from your, your skin or internally your immune system. Mm. And it affects everyone differently. And that's why it's so hard to diagnose. Interesting. So, um, how did you first realize that you were sick? Well, some of the first symptoms for most people are arthritis or joint pain, heavy fatigue. I thought I had mono in high school and I was like, something's up. I'm an athlete. I eat healthy. Like what's going on? Hmm. And how did you, how did you find out you had lupus? What led you to the diagnosis? Well, I guess I would be the lucky one, quote unquote. Um, my grandmother had it. So it was kind of like a no brainer. So if you have someone in your family, it's easier to get diagnosed as opposed to um, some people who have these symptoms for years and never get diagnosed with it. Wow. Okay. So how young were you when you first had the symptoms? Um, I would say I was like 16 when I had the symptoms, but it wasn't until I was 21 when I got diagnosed. Okay. And you've been living it with, with it all this time and you've been yeah. able to manage your symptoms. Exactly. So in terms of treatment, is the idea just to get the symptoms under control? Is there a cure for lupus? There's no textbook cure for lupus, mm. but um, yeah, I mean, the things I do on a daily basis have a lot to do with diet, mental health, um, phys- physicality, like working out, doing mm. yoga, that pretty much saved me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who are probably going to be like, oh, everyone's telling me to do yoga, mm. but you're like, guys do yoga. No, seriously. My mom was the one and you never want to listen to your mom. You're like, <laughs> oh, whatever. She doesn't know. And I remember doing downward facing dog, literally feeling like blood in my throat. <laughs> wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that probably wasn't so great, but you've been able to find other positions that work for you. Yeah. Because when I got diagnosed, the last thing you want to do is move when your joints hurt. And that's the first thing you should be doing. And um, doctors always recommend swimming. It's more of a gentler introduction into moving your joints around. But I went straight into yoga and I am so grateful for it today. And are you also certified as a yoga instructor? Is that right? I am. Let's just add that to the piece. (laughs) (laughs) Let's add that to your list of wonderful skills. (laughs) So you really got into it, obviously. Yeah, I did because I saw the results. And um, I also got into Ayurveda and the whole yogic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I attribute my health to 
following those practices. Right. So in terms of your physical activity, you're doing a lot of yoga. And then in terms of the Ayurvedic health aspect of it, have you followed a lot of that? And are you still following some of those um, tenets in your like with supplementing and yeah, like that. It, um, in the beginning I was like really hardcore and then I started to feel a lot better. And then I kind of like kind of cheated here and there because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has to live their life. <laughs> um, so I can't be drinking turmeric tea every day, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it definitely helps. Like the whole thing about having lupus is that you, um, your body is attacking itself. So how can you get your body in a state where it's so alkaline, everything is fine? Like, mm. you know, the whole purpose of Ayurveda is treating the whole body system instead of one part. Like, oh, my head hurts. So here, take it at an Advil. And Ayurveda says, no, don't take an Advil. Let's look at the whole body system and figure out why your head is hurting. It could be mm. something you're intaking. Maybe you're not getting enough zinc. Maybe you're not getting magnesium. The great thing about Ayurveda is that it treats the whole body system as opposed to just one problem that you're having in your body. So, for example, if you have a headache, a regular doctor will tell you to take an Advil. Mm. Ayurveda says, wait, let's figure out why you're having this headache. Maybe you have a lack of zinc or, you know, they're not just treating one problem. They're looking at the whole body system. Right. And that's really important. So Ayurveda is important because it treats the whole body system as opposed to just one problem that you're having in your body. For example, if a doctor says, oh, you have a, I notice you have migraines. Let me give you this Advil. Mm. Um, that's Western treatment. Eastern treatment is let me look at your whole body system and figure out why you're having these migraines. Maybe it's a lack in magnesium or zinc or maybe you have too much copper. So let's figure this out as a whole body system. Does that mean also then in your experience of Ayurveda that practitioners you're working with are looking at a much more detailed blood panel too to figure out what's lacking specifically? Yeah, Yeah. they're looking at um, blood, they're looking at um, sleep patterns, they're looking at everything, your whole body system. Mm. How are you functioning? Even your poop, you know? Okay. (laughs) Hello, Ayurveda. So you're talking about the whole body with Ayurveda and Ayurvedic treatment and diagnosis. So let's talk specifically about what happened to you when you were a teenager. Because you said you were like 16 when you got diagnosed um, for symptoms. I, yeah, I had uh, symptoms at 16, but I wasn't treated and diagnosed until I was 21. Which is a long time to mm-hmm. be feeling kind of below par. Yeah. So um, what were the symptoms that you were experiencing that led you to the diagnosis? Yeah. So I I was having heavy fatigue. And Mm -hmm. um, when I was in high school, I played sports. So I just thought, oh, it's just from sports, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. overworking myself. And then um, when I got to college, it was more than just – it was like I can't get out of bed fatigue. Mm. And then my joints, like easy tasks like opening up a peanut butter jar or washing my hair became um, nearly impossible to do. Wow. And so then I knew, okay, there's something seriously wrong with me. And then, of course, I got diagnosed um, with lupus, SLE. There's two types of lupus. There's discoid lupus and there's SLE lupus. And SLE um, affects your internal organs, which is more, you know, dangerous because your kidney can fail and 
Kidneys and lungs are the main ones, Yeah, right? kidney, lung, heart. A lot of women have heart attacks. Mm. Um, your brain as well is an organ. So I had a lot of cognitive dysfunctions. Like I knew that one plus one equals two, but I didn't know how to get there. I like mm. knew the beginning and the end, but I was like, how did we get there again? So were you even being tested for like learning disability at that point? No, or? not. It, I mean, it wasn't that bad. It was more in conversation. Like I'm like, I would lose my train of thought. And mm. try to figure out what happened. And it wasn't great because it was like, I was a junior in college by then. And I was like, am I dumb? Like, what's happening to me? Mm. I can't move my arms. I can't think. I'm yeah. tired all the time. I ha My eyes um, had a hard time functioning because what had happened was I was on um, – I was on um, regular medicine, which would be Plaquenil for most people, and then also prednisone because I was going through a flare, so they, they give you uh, steroids to bring down your flare. Mm. And then I was seeing an, um, an, uh, someone that dealt with herbs, and that's a dangerous combination. Like, you either do one or the other. You don't do both. And I was like, because I'm a natural girl, I was like, okay, let me try some natural herbs, but you cannot take it with medicine because it, it is like really dangerous. So the interactions don't, it's not a good interaction. Exactly. Okay. So, um, what, when you were working with a herbalist and with, um, like a Western medicine doctor, at what point did you sort of go like, Oh, these things are not affecting each other. Well, when I basically was walking to one of my classes and I just couldn't see, and I was like, something's up. Like mm. I need to stop one of these things. And I did. And as soon as I stopped the herbs, I felt fine. Oh, wow. Okay. So you you were more inclined to stop the more natural treatment than to stop the medicine. Yeah. At the time I was 21, I trusted the doctors and, um, I didn't trust myself enough to just go on herbs hmm. at that time. If that person was a good herbalist, they wouldn't have had me take, um, Western medicine at the same time. So, so I should have asked the question. Yeah. I didn't go to somebody that was good. Hmm. And, and that's the thing. When you first get diagnosed, you're just looking for answers. Yeah. And I mean, I, I presume you've also had your ups and downs with various practitioners. I mean, I think we all do right in this space because some people are going to work for us and some of them aren't. But it's a real learning curve, isn't it? It's huge. The thing about lupus is for most people, it's, it's finding the right doctor and the right chemical cocktail. Mm. Like what meds are going to work for you? Because like I said before, people who have lupus, it could be different. Like somebody's liver could be affected or my kidney could be affected or I'm having the malar rash only or... What's that rash? Um, it's a rash, that, a butterfly rash that appears on your face um, mostly when you're body, your skin is attacking itself or that you're in the sun too long, it'll appear. Hmm. Lupus means wolf in Latin and it's, that's the markings. That's how the name came about. Oh, interesting. Like people could always tell that um, you had lupus because you had markings like a wolf. The markings on the face, the rash that people get across the face, does that tend to be one of the more common symptoms or you were saying it's like different for everyone, right? Yeah, it is. Hmm. It is different for everyone, but um, a lot of people I know do have it, do have the markings. Mm -hmm. um, some are more prominent than others. Um, yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, lupus was diagnosed in the 1800s. It's kind of crazy and people still don't know about it. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's one of those diseases that flies under the radar a lot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it sounds like you were lucky as well because you had the genetic predisposition through your grandmother, right? Yeah. Lucky or unlucky. Why? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a winner of 
lupus. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> so you were having all of these episodes in college, which has to be hard too because you're on your own, presumably, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you were like yeah. on your own in college mm-hmm. and you're having all these symptoms that had been ongoing for a long time and you had to seek treatment all by yourself. How was that? It was challenging. I mean, I had my mom there. Um, okay. I actually went to a commuter college, so I um, I like went back and forth. But mm. um, but I after that, I um, got on America's Next Top Model mo- almost immediately after I got diagnosed. Wow! So the irony is that people got to see what lupus is like being played out on national television because I was like only two months in from being diagnosed or three months in. And so that must have brought a lot of awareness at the time. Yeah. I didn't even know it was going to bring awareness. I just was trying to get through a competition and deal with living with an autoimmune disease. Right. And how was seeking treatment when you were like on location for that show? It was uh, challenging because in the contract, it said that you weren't supposed to have any illnesses or diseases. So I hid it because I didn't want to get kicked off the show. So I would ask the producers if I could borrow their cell phone so I could call my doctor or call my mom. And then they caught wind of it and thought, Ooh, this will be a good storyline, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as any good producer would do to make a great show. And then that mm-hmm. kind of, so that became your narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess that's more of a positive for you because you were able to continue to seek treatment mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. But why do you think they had in the contract you can't have any illnesses? I guess maybe they weren't familiar with anything in the autoimmune world or the invisible world, right? They were probably unsure of the things they couldn't control. Mm. But what they did realize is that it makes life relatable and people relate to the show because somebody they know has lupus or or they have lupus themselves and then after every season everyone had some type of disease after my season yeah which i thought was funny but um you got to give yourself credit there for being kind of an ambassador yeah, for uh, yeah like i didn't know but yeah <laughs> it was interesting yeah and like did that make you feel weird about it or did you feel okay that they sort of Um, twisted the storyline that way? No, I mean, my whole thing was I never wanted to be pitied or looked at differently um, because I had something that was different than someone else. Mm. Like, I wanted to be looked at like, look, I'm trying to do this competition. I'm also dealing with this. And that's kind of how I live my life. I never let lupus define who I am as a person. And um, it's just something that I had. It's something my grandmother had. And it's, and for me, I made the decision that I wasn't going to let my disease uh, affect my life. Well, and that's a huge thing in this community, right, of invisible disease, because there are those in the community who probably have so much going on that they're feeling like um, their symptoms and the way that their disease manifests is defining who they are because it's affecting so much of their cognitive and physical ability, right? So- How, I mean, was that already like a natural mental shift for you to make to be able to go like, okay, I'm not going to let this define me? Or was it something that you had to sort of figure out as you were going? I figured it out like after a year of um, dealing with the disease. Because when you get diagnosed with a disease, there's so many different ways you can go. And for me, I went down the like, am I going to die? Like, okay, I feel sorry for myself. I can't get out of bed okay, now I need to do something. Okay, now I'm not going to let it affect my life. And I went 
downward and then upward. Mm. Um, as opposed to some people just go downward. Oh, I have lupus and you know, my life is never going to be the same and I'm just going to wallow in my sorrows. And yeah. that's fine if you want to do that as an individual. But for me, it was like, Oh no. Like I was like, Lance Armstrong had, you know, cancer and he beat it. And I just started looking to positive figures that had autoimmune diseases, whether it's cancer or Parkinson's disease, like Michael J. Fox. And I was like, these people can do it. The, you, it's all a mentality and I, I can get through this. And so you didn't need to seek help. You just looked outside yourself and you were able to make that connection. Right. And I've always been a really positive person mm. just in general. And I think that just helped me just innately. And it just yeah. was like, okay, I can do this. Well, and you also mentioned that your mom was there with you. Cause I was going to ask if you needed a personal advocate at any point in the journey to your health. And it sounds like your mom was there with you the whole time. So yeah. that probably helped, huh? The most important thing I will tell people who have lupus is that when they first get diagnosed, the people around them care about them so much that they want to help them. Mm. And it's a good thing and a bad thing, um, depending on what your personality is. For me, I'm kind of stubborn. I'll figure it out on my own. This is my thing to deal with. And so I resisted a lot of help in the beginning because I'm like, this is my thing. I'll deal with it. But when I did let people in, um, that's when I really got the help that I needed. My mom is an amazing researcher and we found the best lupus doctor, I guess I would say in the United States. Mm. And that made a huge difference. Like we were talking about before between practitioners and, you know, you don't know what you're really going to get. The practitioner that was treating me before put me on these crazy medicines that when my my new doctor saw it. He's like, why are you on this? This is what like 80 year old people are on. Yeah. So not all doctors are created equally. And with that being said, I've also been on, now that I have a perspective of on the other side, I've also been on Medi-Cal mm -hmm. and not everyone has access to good medical. And seeing that other side just recently after like kind of losing my job for a while made me realize like, that, you know, people like you that put these podcasts out um, are so integral. Like, it's so important for these communities to hear this because they don't have access to information or right. whatever it is that want to really help themselves that can't see the best doctor or whatever it may be. So I... And that's something we were also touching on that. Um, we were talking a little bit before we hit record and we were talking a little bit about... Um, you know, the resources that are available out there, particularly for people who maybe don't have access to the best medical, right? And a lot of that is about finding the forum online, mm -hmm. finding the Twitter group, finding the Facebook group, and finding the experts in the field. Um, I mean, for me, it was Dr. Isabella Wentz as an expert who sends emails every few days, like, maybe you should get tested for this. Maybe you should get tested for that. And um, you know, if I didn't have my integrative medicine specialist to go to, who's a thyroid specialist, I would be going to my GP saying, Hey, can we test this? But then not all GPs would be open to testing those things either. So as you say, it is about doing your research, isn't it? And it is. having an advocate. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they get diagnosed, they don't know to go see a rheumatologist. Mm -hmm. So a rheumatologist studies the joints and 
Um, they look at your blood and they are the, most of the time, they are the people who treat lupus. Not Mm. all the time, but most of the time. And when I first got diagnosed with lupus, the first thing I did was Google it. And that's how I found the Lupus Foundation because it seemed to be the first reliable source. Hmm. And I was like, oh, the Lupus Foundation of America. Uh, These are forums that I can look on. This is where I can find more information about the disease. Um, These are the doctors and the support groups I can look into for where I live and what city I live in. But it also took the diagnosis to be able to, to find those groups, didn't it? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, it's interesting because when I was in the process of being diagnosed with Hashimoto's, some of my symptoms overlapped a bit with lupus symptoms. And I was sent to a rheumatologist in the beginning, as most of us should be anyway, because you should be checking certain things. But because I had some joint pain and um, fatigue, they thought maybe it could be something like that. Um, And obviously that's not the path that I ended up on, but it's interesting that, you know, lupus is so hard to nail down. It is. Don't you know. web MD yourself because you'll think you'll have like a million different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like it, it translates in everyone so differently. But the most common sides are, you know, the fatigue and the joint pain. Those are the two giveaways. And then the malar rash is like the number one. Right. And then what is there a specific test that they did? Was it a specific blood test for a lupus gene? How did that look? Yeah, they test your blood and they test the ANA, the blood in your ANA. And um, I read the book years ago. I cannot, I'm not a doctor. I can't like specify. Um, I just know that if your sed rate is really high, then you're in a flare and you have lupus. Um, But as a doctor, I don't know if, if you have a high sed rate, could that mean you also have, you know, like, um, sickle cell anemia? So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I would definitely look into a doctor that could speak more about the blood on that end. But well, and also- I know that when I look at my test, I'm like, oh, I'm going through a flare because my sed rate is high and. Yeah. Well, do you know in your body when you're going through a flare too? That's See, that's what I listen to. I listen to my body. And that's the most important thing when you do have lis- uh, lupus is to listen to your body because you're like, okay, I'm tired. Why am I tired? What am I eating? Am I eating a lot of white sugars or white bread or, you know, why, why am I having this flare? Was I out in the sun mm. like last weekend? Is that why I'm so tired on Monday? Or whatever. So sun sensitivity is a huge part of it. It's a huge part of it. And a lot of people don't want to give that up. Like when I'm in the sun, I have cool, cute hats on. I carry parasol umbrellas. I make it look fashionable because I know that I can't be in the sun for long. You and I would be good beach buddies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We would. Yeah. I'm all about sitting under the shade when you're on the beach. Yeah, that's for sure. bathing beauties. Exactly. And you've got to take care of your skin. And I mean, the more we hear about sun damage anyway, the less appealing it sounds, right? Yeah. Like if you look in like Japan and their, be- their skin is beautiful because they do not let it touch the No, they the carry sun. umbrellas a lot <laughs> yeah. of the time. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. 10 minutes of sun is very helpful. You need your vitamin D. There are also supplements you can take, which I take on top of that. Same, same. And... That's a good tip. That's all really helped you. Um, And in terms of, um, you know, just to go back to the advocacy side of this, um, because I know that you've worked as an advocate for lupus, but also 
you know, your mom being on the journey with you. How did that affect your relationship? Did it cause strain on the relationship or was it something that's ultimately been really positive for you guys? Oh, my mom's my best friend. So for us, it's just like you and your best friend going through something together. Mm. She's been very supportive. She's been a great researcher. She helped me find the best doctor. Um, she's always encouraged me to reach for my goals, um, mm. regardless of if I had arthritis pain or not. So she's been an integral part of my healing. Um, but with that being said, um, my friends uh, have all been great. And the one thing I want to tell people is that a lot of people are afraid to come out to their offices or to people um, and tell them they have lupus. Mm-hmm. And I understand they're afraid of losing their jobs and stuff like that. But I've been advocating for lupus for 16 years, I would say. And, um, it's important for people to know what you're going through so that they can be there and support you. And then it'll make, you'll pave the way for other people so Mm. that they can work in jobs and they can, um, get time off when they need to. Because if we keep this a secret, we're not going to get the funding we need to get more research. We're not going to get the time off from work that we need. Um, because we are going through a flare. So the more we speak about it, the better our lives will be. Mm. And if you have a problem at work, I mean, that goes the way of discrimination too. So people have to be aware of what their rights are if they're concerned about perception of what they're going through at work for sure. Right? Yeah. It's scary. Like when you're applying for jobs and they're like, do you have any illnesses? You have to think you're like, will I get hired for this? Mm. Because I know, quote unquote, they have to have equal opportunity, Mm. but that can go in many different forms, you know, cultural or whatever. Do I really want to hire someone on that's sick? Like, will they be, will I be able to, if I'm running a business, I'm thinking of these things. Like, Mm. will I be able to um, hire someone on and will they be able to give me the work that I need, you know? Or are they going to be a liability? Which is, that's also the onus is always on the sufferers, right? I think the first thing that most people jump to when they're starting to feel sick or even when people have the flu, right? Mm. Is, ugh, I'm a liability. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how do you suggest people sort of balance their attitude about that and, and, you know, work on their work-life balance in a way that's positive for them and the people around them? I mean, is that just an awareness thing? Is it? I think it's an awareness thing because I know, I I mean, I know a lot of people that work in HR and I know that people, a lot of people take advantage of it mm. as well and give people like us who are sick a bad name. So it's hard, mm. you know, like, what do you do? Like, do you give people more housing? Will they get jobs? You know, it's, it's so, it's such a individual case by case study, but I feel like as an employer, if you hire someone on and you can tell that they're hardworking and they're passionate, oh, and they happen to have this disease that they need time off now and again, you can tell that they're going to give everything they got. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody comes in and says, I have lupus, you know, I'll probably work, you know, a couple days a week, you know, I'll give him my best. But, you Mm. know, you can kind of tell the difference between someone who is using their disease to their advantage and using their disease to a disadvantage. Yeah. And those people who um, maybe don't have the most positive attitude about their disease as well, I mean, maybe those are people who should be looking at remote work opportunities too, because that's a great field that's opening up. Certainly. Correct. I mean, this is the best time to kind of 
be in a world where you can work from home. Despite the pressures of having to be more and more and more all the time, right? Right, right. And um, I mean, with technology, it's definitely helped. I know a lot of people that I know that suffer from many different illnesses uh, stay at home and they're very functioning and they they can like take naps when they want to. And mm. it's that's great, you know? And that's another thing that an important thing that you brought up is just kind of finding the right job for your needs. Um, and if that's like working from home, then that's great. You know, there's a lot of jobs that do that. There's a lot of moms that do that and they're very successful writers and in their entertainment field and such. Well, and there are people like you and I who've also channeled that into our own creative work, right? Where we've gone, you know what? Like we're also going to do this thing for ourselves that we've been wanting to do anyway. So why don't we pursue it with, you know, when our bodies are telling us we need some more time. And if we can make it work, then that's a really positive thing. It's kind of a blessing. Mm, yeah. And and now's a good time to be a small business owner too, right? It like, is. So it's, it's perfect. Everybody wants artisanal, homemade, handmade. Yeah. Know, and there seems to be, it, you know, despite the fact that we live in a culture that's like always telling us to push ourselves more emotionally and physically we're also in a culture and particularly, look, we live in a bubble in Los Angeles, right? But we are in the culture here, certainly where people are like, I want to know where this came from. I want to know where, you know, the jewelry I buy comes from. I want to meet the artists and you're providing opportunities for yourself with that, with the Gilded Fox, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, that was a big thing for me is, um, still staying creative, um, being able to set my own hours and then, Obviously, making something for someone that's like one of a kind and that they'll appreciate, and yeah, and that feeds you as well. Doesn't feeds it? my soul. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and that you also touched on um, the idea of moms and moms who are working from home and working remote jobs and things like that. And you're a mom, so tell us how being pregnant and delivering and post-pregnancy, all the journey of becoming a mom. How did your lupus play into all of that? And and did it make things more difficult? Did you have to be aware of more things? Yeah. Um, I was always afraid about the pregnancy part because I've always heard that it's, you know, it's like, yeah, you'll go into remission when you have, um, when you get pregnant, but then the aftermath is going to be crazy. Like my doctor had warned me for years. So I was kind of like a little bit nervous about it. Also, I didn't know if I was going to get pregnant. I'm a little bit older now. And um, that was all things I made up in my head. Mm. I had a great pregnancy. Um, I never felt like I was pregnant, which was crazy. You were always, yeah. Because I mean, we were hanging out when you were pregnant and you were always like, hey, I'm pregnant. No yeah, big deal. <laughs> I was going to concerts at seven months. Yeah. I mean, I was like living the life. Um, I did... The although have a crazy birthing experience and whether you have lupus or not, I know a lot of women that have had crazy birthing experiences. But for me, I had 36 hours of labor and then I had an emergency C-section because I got preeclampsia, mm. which is because they kept me um, in the labor room too long. Like the baby's heart started to like drop and um he was under a lot of stress because I didn't eat. I was 36 hours. They induced my pregnancy. Um So it wasn't related to the lupus that you got the preeclampsia. It was more related to the actual labor experience. Exactly. And um but then, you know, my lupus started to flare because my body was in a lot of stress. So I was in the hospital for four days and 
if I could skip forward, I saw a specialist every two weeks Mm. when I had lupus to check the heart rate and things like that. In my opinion, I don't think that was necessary. I am a very healthy person and I, um, I know that if I ever do have a baby, I'm going to do it my way. This is my own thoughts. This is not what I'm telling anyone else. Mm. It's just that the doctor group I was with was very on top of it. And I think some of that could have been avoided if I just listened to myself and my and that's a big thing I want to tell people who have lupus. Like, your doctor is there to help you, but they're not there to play God or mm-hmm. whoever or higher being or whoever you believe in. You have to trust yourself. You have to trust your body and what you're feeling. And if you're on a medicine that makes you feel insane, then listen to your body. And yeah, sometimes it takes a while for the medicine to, to set in. But my whole thing is, Try to try an Ayurvedic diet. Try to eat healthy. Cut out white sugars, white breads. Um, definitely exercise. Exercising is a part of moving everything around. If you don't exercise, you're not going to get the full benefits of your body functioning. Mm. And oftentimes when you take medicine, a lot of the deposits just sit there. So you need, that's why yoga is great because it, it twists and, um, it twists the liver and it moves the kidneys around and things that you don't get when you're sedimentary. Mm. So it really does help. And listening to your body is a huge way to like kind of figure out your own way of treating yourself. Well, and surely also, um, the more exercise you do on a regular basis, the more in touch with your body you'll become as well. So you'll be able to listen to what your body's trying to tell you. Cause I mean, for sure, having gone both extremes myself where I've been sedimentary because of fatigue, or I've been working out because I've just been more fit, you know, Mm -hmm. you sort of, you have to get used to either, you know, not being as in touch with your body or getting more in touch with your body. And yeah. and it, I think no matter what anyone tells you, exercise is great for you, right? So Yeah. And you don't have to go to a gym to get exercise. Like sometimes when I'm like really feeling down, I will brush my teeth and do squats or mm-hmm. I will do toe raises in the shower or mm-hmm. I'll do stretches with my son on the couch. Like these are all little things where you don't have to make the excuse, well, like, oh, well, I better work out before I go to the gym so I can look decent or whatever weird things you may have in your head. Mm. Like just moving, keep it moving. And my mom always says like, um, she'll never stop moving. You know, mm. that's what will keep her alive. And she's knock on wood really healthy. And it's because she does Tai Chi. She eats healthy. You know, she lives in a positive mind frame. And I think these are all good attributes to health. I also think there's a big, uh, I mean, for me, I think a big thing is like get a dog and go for a walk, right? Yeah, she has five dogs. Well, and you've got a dog yourself, right? (laughs) And also like if you don't have a dog or you can't have a dog in your building or whatever, um, you know, like you can also be a dog walker. um, I mean, it's It's a great great social, it's a great social activity, right? Like I don't have a dog, but my parents do. So whenever Mm -hmm. I can, I like get out there and like take them to the park, you know? Yeah. I'm a huge like follower of Malcolm Gladwell and he mm-hmm. wrote um, a couple of books, but there was one about longevity and he studied this group in Italy and they ate healthy. But the main reason why they live so long was community mm. and they all had a purpose. 
in whatever they did. Like one guy was a florist and the other guy just sang songs at weddings. So just kind of finding your purpose and a sense of community is also important because who wants to deal with the disease by themselves? It's no fun. No, it isn't. But I think also there's always that shift that has to take place, right? Like when you first get sick, you often do feel alone. Oh, and absolutely. We've, all, we've both been through that journey of mm. going like, okay, I need to like tell people yeah. um, or, you know, thinking that people aren't going to support you, but mm. actually making the shift mentally to go, you know what, like hopefully whoever's listening does have a support system and, and hopefully your support system is willing to help you, you know? Yeah. There's definitely a transition that happens. You're not going to just go like, oh, I'm going to seek out a community because I'm sick, you mm. know? obviously. But yeah, I mean, after you come out of that transition, a community is really important. Yeah. Um, and we, we talked a bit about, um, you know, the, the idea of balancing work and life and like going to work and being able to say to people like, Hey, by the way, I'm sick, you know, but I'm still going to show up and do my job. Um, do you, have you ever felt personally confronted or like forced to justify your illness to other people because they couldn't see it, but you could feel it? Yeah, that that's the crazy thing about invisible illnesses. Well, you look fine. You mm-hmm. don't. You don't. You're fine. And there's a, an extra pressure, I think, on women in that sense, right? Yeah, there is an extra pressure, and also too. I mean, I've been working as a model and an actor for 16 years, so. It's kind of crazy because with my line of work, when you're on set, there's a time and a, there's a, I mean, you have to like get the shot done in a certain amount of time. And I've often said to a director, like, Hey, I can't be in direct sunlight for more than an hour. Can we get somebody to, you know, put a fan over me or like a, or a shade? shade? Or mm. Can, can someone put a shade over me? And, um, you know, sometimes they're like, well, why? You look fine. Like, is fine. she a diva? Why was she that? Yeah. yeah. So I've I've gotten that before. And I mean, my line of work is really unusual for most people. But yeah, I've, I mean, it's, it's hard because you have to kind of say like, look, this is what I need. And you have to be an advocate for yourself. Mm. And I know that not everyone has that personality and it could be challenging at times for people. But um, you just, you have to do what you got to do. And that's a learning curve too, right? Yeah. Like it, it may not be something that clicks right away, but eventually when you're working and you're feeling kind of crappy, you might just have to speak up, right? Yeah. I think that's the most important thing is speaking up for yourself when you know you need something, because if you don't get it, then it means something worse later. Right. And that's incredibly important. Um, not just having an advocate, outside of your body, like your mom or someone who's helping take care of you and checking in on you, but also having yourself and and growing your self-confidence in that way. Because, and and again, this is maybe, this is more of like a, a skews toward the female, right? Where it's like, we're sort of taught to make ourselves smaller and not take up as much space. So the idea of like having to be our own advocates, right? Is that's a kind of big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, my mom was always a single mom, so she like taught me to always say what I need to say and mm. and but it's still challenging, you know, it's still like, oh, I don't want to get anyone in trouble or whatever and then but you have to you have to be an advocate. So you also talked about advocacy um, and how you've been an advocate and you've had your community of advocates and your friends and family and some of the people who you look to uh, for inspiration, especially when you first got sick. What is it like to be an advocate for lupus? And 
Are there other advocates in the field that you would recommend that anyone who's listening also check out? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I made a promise to my grandmother that I would do something to help her. And then I got diagnosed with lupus 15 years after she died. Hmm. And so I kind of was carrying the torch um, for the promise that I would like explain to other people what lupus was and how we can get funding and how we can make positive change. Hmm. So for me, it's always been in me because it was a promise I made when I was really young. Um, With that being said, there are great advocates I look up to such as Dr. Wheel, mm-hmm. who his whole philosophy is nutrition and how to change the way we eat and how to look at foods differently, how to buy seasonally mm. and organic and why that makes a difference. I've looked to Chris Carr, who has cancer, and um, she is all about eating whole foods, um, studying yoga, being spiritual, um And I think all of these things are like a same pattern, kind of like when you read the Bible and you read the Quran and you read um, all these different um, big religious books, you notice that there's always some type of common theme. There was a flood Mm. or whatever it may be. And And for you, that might be getting sick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I'm like, these people have an idea. I also um, listened to Dr. Mark Hyman. Mm -hmm. His podcast is amazing. He is talks about how all these autoimmune diseases are related cancer sickle cell um, anemia hashimotos lupus and um a lot of it is coming from our environment a lot of it is coming from our food a lot of it is coming from hidden things like stress Mm. and these are all things that need to be addressed because we're just like going on about our day and not making the adjustments that we need. Well, and and there are obviously the the adjustments that you can control, right? Like your diet and your exercise. But what do you think about those environmental factors? Because there are certain factors like everyone driving cars and, you know, gas emissions and um, the ozone layer breaking down, you know, all of these factors are certainly in some way contributing to the, I mean, whether it's a rise in um, the incidence of of invisible illness or whether it's just that we're becoming more aware of these illnesses, um, you know, what would you say for people to sort of help control those things? What are, What can they do on a regular basis aside from diet and exercise? Yeah. I mean, the way that we recycle what we, the things that we use or the products and the companies that we choose to support, like um, as soon as my son was born, like not to crap on Dawn, but I don't use Dawn because every time I used it, I was sneezing and I couldn't figure out why. And then I was like, oh, well, I don't want to use this on the baby bottles. And then I looked into products like Puracy, which is a great um, uh, sustainable brand out of Austin, Texas that um, doesn't use any harsh chemicals in their soap, in their laundry detergent, in um, cleaning surfaces. Mm. Um there, I mean, also just going back to basics, 1950s oil, I mean, vinegar and lemon and baking powder are like the best things that you have in your kitchen counter that you don't need to buy. Um, I've also been looking into zero waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to eventually get on that. I, I'm in such a consumer society. I work in fashion. It's one of the second biggest polluters. 
And the brands that I buy, um, like Reformation and Vintage and Secondhand, um, are a way to help um, support your environment instead of harm it. Um, stay away from fast fashion. The With the Gilded Fox, all of our pieces are made from um, recycled materials, or if it's not recycled, it's from um, uh, villages that are making it that are going towards fair fair trade. So it's like supporting companies that support the environment and your lifestyle. Mm, I think that's a really fair point. Um, so I think we've covered a lot today. Um, and I like to wrap up the episodes with some top three lists. <laughs> okay. So um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, what are your top three tips for someone who suspects they might have something off or might be think they might be living with some kind of invisible illness? What are like your three go-tos that you would suggest for people? Listen to your body. Mm. Write down if you feel what's going on and then compare it a week later to see if there's a difference. And that's it. I'm going to give you the top two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose part of the listening to your body is like start doing yoga yeah, and eating well. Exactly. Right? <laughs> start doing yoga and eating well. Yeah. And in terms of doing yoga and eating well, do you ever cheat on your treatment and lifestyle? Absolutely. Because I'm all about moderation. Mm. I um, wish I could be an extremist, but it's never been in my personality. You got to live your life, right? Yeah. I mean, extremists live their life too, but just on a more hardcore <laughs> side. Um, yeah. yeah, I definitely cheat. Um, I love wine. Okay. Alcohol is not alkaline at all. Mm. Um, but I am Italian. <laughs> so I need a multipliciano in my life once in a while. <laughs> And, um, what else do I cheat on? Yeah. yeah. I love, or secret indulgences. Like. Um, secret indulgences would be, um, watching Netflix and binge watching that mm. I know is not healthy, but it makes me feel so good. Well, what's unhealthy <laughs> if it makes you feel good, right? <laughs> it feeds the soul. When I, although I know I could be reading or spending more time doing something else and well, more productive. You gotta unplug though, don't you? And that's a huge yeah. part of like resting and unplugging and not putting effort into what you're doing sometimes? No, that that's a huge thing. I mean, that's something that I think now more than ever our society needs to do more mm -hmm. often is unplug and and give yourself a break and, and l know that it's okay to take yeah. a break. Um, and what about any, like, do you have any favorite comfort activities if you have a flare up or if you're feeling a little off? Um, just rest. Mm. But for me, um, I'm like a really crazy person. I can fall asleep anywhere. Same. Um, <laughs> and I told my husband this the other day. I said, you know what's the key to falling asleep easily for me is getting really warm because it feels cozy mm -hmm. and I just like knock out. For him, he's the opposite. If it's freezing and it's like an ice cave, then he can <laughs> fall asleep. And um, that's got to be a fun bedroom to kind yeah. of figure out. Your oh, it's horrible. <laughs> it's like basically cold all the time, and I have like a million sweaters on me. <laughs> <laughs> so you do like to nest, basically. Yes, I yeah. like to nest and yeah. burrow. I'm definitely some type of woodland creature. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Mercedes. I'm so glad that everyone was able to hear a bit about your journey and your story. And um, we're definitely going to post links on the website to a lot of um, the references that you made today, um, especially for the Gilded Fox, because you guys should definitely check out Mercedes Jewelry. Um, thank you. And for the Lupus Foundation of America and some other references that were made. And um, hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime again soon. But thank you so much for talking about lupus and, and educating us a little bit more and hopefully we keep getting funding for it right to keep researching exactly thanks for having me and thanks for doing this for everyone thank you so much <laughs> that's it folks thanks for listening as always please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod we love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.